It has often been said that some of the most insightful conversations in the affiliate world happen in the pub. Whether that's in the Walrus and Carpenter after a busy PI Live, in the Marriott Lounge at ASE, or just an ad hoc affiliate drinks event. It's a chance to take a step back from the formal, a break from the routine, and where the ideas can flow as freely as the beers. Moonpool have been having conversations with some of our friends in the industry. We want to share some of these with you. This time, Steve Brown and Mark Smith are joined by one of the best connected people in affiliate, James Little of Top Cashback. To talk about those Barbados trips, managing merchant offers and people as a reward publisher, and his dismay at brands still launching programmes destined not to track next year. We join them talking about the ship in central London. So tell us, so tell us a bit about this ship, please, James. Yeah, the, the ship pub itself wasn't remarkable. It was just close to the office back in the day, and that was over 12 years ago now. But I think the reason why I picked the ship was because it actually its namesake was a ship in in Barbados. And before I started at Philip Future, and when I was still in my early days of Philip Marketing, I was lucky enough to go on one of the Barbados trips that Philip Future used to do, and I ended up doing five of them. So it was a big part of where I met a lot of publishers and some advertisers early-ish in my career and really made some long-lasting relationships and friendships as well. So about 12 years ago, Affiliate Future would organise trips to... Well, longer than that. Okay. So I think they started doing it about 18 or 19 years ago. So, yeah, it shows my age slightly, unfortunately. Okay. So they would do trips to Barbados? Yeah for getting publishers together with advertisers? Less advertisers. So basically the way it worked was they had this kind of incentive engine and what the incentive engine would do would allow advertisers to pay a fairly nominal amount, I think it was about 600, 700 pounds at the time, to send one of their publishers or multiple to Barbados for a week and that would include their flights and accommodation. Accommodation would be a shared room with someone that has there's many stories there and not all of them are safe for this podcast so bruce suggested affiliate marketing was a people business yeah and that is definitely talking about it being a people business investing in your relationships has that changed are there different relationships being formed now or is it more relationships less relationships no i I think i think they're equally as important as they ever have been and i actually think that we're in quite a tough position in where we are at the moment because i think a lot of change happened kind of post-Covid. So I think it's actually one of the areas that potentially struggles the most in affiliates at the moment. So when you're talking about affiliate future, you're going back to when you worked for a network. You obviously now work for one of the UK's largest, if not the UK's largest publishers, and probably one of the world's largest publishers as well. So you've got a different hat on as a publisher, but you were just referring to advertisers investing in publishers. Do you feel advertisers are investing in top cashback? Yeah, I would like to think so. Like you say, we're, we're one of the, the biggest or, or the biggest in the UK and probably Europe, right? So I think we're very fortunate that we have a great team who have great relationships with the advertisers that we have on site and we spend a lot of time working with them. I would say there's more control from networks now, potentially. So a lot of campaigns are almost fully run and the budget spent by the network. And we see this especially in the US, I would say maybe slightly less so in the UK where actually the advertiser maybe doesn't have someone there and is happy to kind of live 
give the budget and let the network or the agency manage it for them. But overall, we have an exceptional team across all the markets that we work in who have great relationships. So would you call the team that you have that deals with advertisers a sales team? No, no. They're our partnerships team. It was a team that I created when I joined Top Cashback. of it in place at the moment, but we, we named it the partnerships team at the time, and I was very specific around that. So they, um, because it was all around creating long-lasting partnerships. It's about building long-lasting relationships. Okay, so they're building these relationships. You want a better offer for the user on top cashback versus your competitors. So what do they do to get you better offers? And Do you have an example of a better offer that those guys get for you from, from the advertisers? I think every week we have exclusive um, cashback rates across all of our sites, realistically, that you know are only found on top cashback. And you know we we pride ourselves of saying that we will only promote a cashback rate if we have the highest rate in the market. So we won't promote anyone at the same rate as if they're on you know other websites. So when you talk about promoting, that over and above being found in the search. Yes, so we have tens of thousands of advertisers, so we're not in conversation with all of them at all times around getting the best rates. But I think the important thing is that we don't keep any of the money that we make from that commission. It all goes back to the user, and that's been our model since day one of operating, and it's still really important to us today. And how does the advertiser at the end of that month go back to, to their CMO and say, you know what, we ran this promotion, we paid a little bit more than we previously did, but we've achieved X. What's X and how are they happy that that extra commission has, has been spent wisely? Well, it'll be different for every advertiser in terms of what they're trying to achieve. Some advertisers may be looking at just pure sales numbers, often comparing it with the week previously or the week after, where they're not running promotion with us. So they're still on the site, but you know, did they get more sales during the promotion when they ran it with the high cashback rate and maybe the the pay potency placements, etc. So they may be looking at that. There may be other aspects like the AOV. You know, often if you have a higher cashback amount, customers will spend more. So it may be the AOV has gone up during that period. And then it really depends on what they're trying to achieve. And we have a lot of different advertisers who are trying to achieve different things. It might be, for example, that there's a specific product or a specific category that they're trying to sell and they've increased the cashback on that category or that product. And that might be the objective. So it's different for everyone, but we should see impact from it, certainly. So you might look at a US site and look at the fact that Macy's are on there offering, I think it's prime day-to-day. I think we're at kind of 14% cashback, which is one of the highest that we would have done on that. So, so you know, there's, on there's Macy's brands. today... To compete with Amazon Prime Day, they're running 14% cashback yeah. on everything on the Macy's site. A few exclusions, but mainly, yeah. That sounds like a pretty damn good It is a good kill, yeah. yeah. We've gone up to, I think during Black Friday in the past, we may have gone up to 20%. There's a lot of brands who will be on our US site at 20% today. So I think it's really interesting that Prime, Amazon Prime obviously have their own promotions over this period, but... What you find a lot of advertisers do is run their kind of Black Friday and July campaigns. And we definitely see this more in the US and the UK. It hasn't really hit the UK yet or Europe yet. I think it will because it took a while for Black Friday to really become a thing over here. But the Black Friday and July style campaigns tend to run at a very similar time to the Prime deals. But yes, it's a way of advertisers competing with that. But also finding it's a good period of the year to be running some promotions. And we're finding it's probably our... I would say it's turned into our after kind of Black Friday or peak. It's our second busiest day of, of 
sales on the site. So I'd love to see the stats that Macy's have on that for incremental sales and incremental basket size. And as an example, I've twice used top cashback with Hotels.com recently with 11% cashback. And the question that's been in my mind is, is that actually turning into a loss-making deal for someone along the lines? Is Hotels.com going to lose money on that deal? Is Are they passing it on to the hotel? Have you any idea? Yeah, I can't go into details on how one of their clients operates, but I think that you do see different advertisers flex different cash track rates at different times of the year when they need to to try and increase SLs or to tie in with promotions they might be running or again every advertiser is different in terms of how they use cashback sites and their purpose of doing it but I'm sure that Hotels.com are making money via the affiliate channel so I'm sure that they, that will be that will come out. Isn't there a bit of this though that just to answer Steve's question without making you tell us or are the inner workings of Hotels.com? Well, I probably wouldn't know, if I'm honest, but yeah. Well, if it helps, I don't know either. But I think that the old adage in advertising is it's it's cheaper to retain a customer than win a customer. But actually, I think the way that digital works and certainly with things like top cashback, I think reuse or, or repeat custom has to sometimes be incentivized. And if the incentive is to give you 11% to use Hotels.com again, but then it becomes more natural, you're, you're back as an active user... There must be a little bit of that as well, right? And they, yeah. they're using top cashback, I'm sure, to to help with that repeat custom. Although I must say, I've never seen your eyes light up so much, Steve, when you heard that Macy's were giving 14% up to 20%. He'll be off to New York next. I mean, literally <laughs> living there just to get this this cashback. Well, get it delivered while the sale's on. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. But I think I think there's certainly I think that some of the challenges of advertising and affiliate obviously plays its part in the past is that there's there's kind of almost binary ideas of how advertising must work that to win a customer costs X amount to retain a customer costs Y amount and I think the lines blur I think actually repeat custom in a market especially like top cashback how many advertisers 10,000 plus to stand out from the noise to become the merchant or the advertiser that's used for repeat custom sometimes means needs an incentive and that's okay. And I think that top cashback must play a part in that, of yeah. being the incentive to repeat your custom. You may not be a new name on the database, but you are somebody that they've reinvigorated. Uh, and I think sometimes in advertising terms, we forget that. We're all about you know winning the customer and then retention of customer. But you've got to you've got to play the game a little bit. And when it's so noisy for the user, for the consumer, when they see so many offers. And I think the other thing that I would mention as part of that as well is that there has been a massive change and shift within the industry over the past 10 years or so where a lot of the time the loyalty is with the publisher. Like if you look at from when I joined the company 12 years ago, I think I was employed in, within the 30s anyway and we had 750,000 UK members, right? We've now got 20 million plus members across the world. We've got sites all over the place. We've got 300 plus staff. And a big part of how we've got from where we were to where we are now was the fact that we spent a lot of money on TV, right? We've grown to be a household name. Plus, all the re- recommendations that people give, because once someone uses our site, like, they're telling everyone about it, they're telling all their friends about it, they're saying, hey, look at the amount of money I saved. And, and that, going back to that point over kind of going, you know, putting that back to the hotel's argument, right, is that, you know, the, the customer may not be loyal. They are looking to book their travel and they will book their travel with the person they can get the best cashback rate with. But I think what's interesting in listening to you talk is top cashback have built a brand. Then go back to Mark's point about is 
advertising on top cashback part of a multi-channel campaign and I wonder whether it's easier to view promoting on top cashback as part of a multi-channel campaign because you have your own brand and the contrast is to you know there's half a dozen broadband comparison sites in the UK mm. they sort of have a brand but you don't see them on TV you use I guess see money supermarket right but yeah that's and you do that. see the Matt's insurance comparison yeah and they've moved beyond affiliate interestingly they started an affiliate but they required technology to do the relationships better and the affiliate channel was asleep at the wheel in some ways in not providing all the bits for money supermarket to link to lv.com and make the transition of the customer seamless whilst adhering to all of the requirements for lv in terms of new users and cashback rates that I think the affiliate channel was slightly asleep in allowing other people to develop those technologies. Yeah, and I think the affiliate channel's learned from that to an extent. Like, look at how desperate the affiliate channel is to bring influencers under affiliates, right? Because they've seen this channel that they feel like, well, actually, like, this should sit within the affiliate world. And there's obviously a lot of technology and a lot of acquisitions that have gone into trying to bring that within the affiliate channel. <laughs> To take it back to this idea that Top Cashback has its own brand, which, which of course it does. We were talking about partner marketing or, or partnership marketing earlier because, of course, some of our networks like to call it that, and some of our <laughs> networks like to call it performance marketing, and some of our networks like to call it affiliate marketing. But the traditional partner marketing was between two brands, but Top Cashback and Hotels.com is, is the epitome of true partner marketing. You're, you're leveraging one with their own brand to the other with its own brand and the two then coexist nicely and collectively. We've even taken it a step further than that. So we ran a campaign a while ago which was with EasyJet Holidays and Marks and & Spencer and actually said if you buy from both those brands on Top Cashback, so get your clothes before you go on holiday or whatever else it might be, then you get an extra bonus. So actually I do, I do agree with the point you're making but there's also that kind of brand to brand kind of partnership as well which is going back to that original Which is what it was originally. Which is actually yeah. where we can kind of sit in the middle and help create some of those relationships, which I've not really seen anyone else do. I, I think that's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing example, actually, because I think the, the one of the challenges of affiliate performance partner marketing is that it's a little bit too one-to-one. And what we do need is this innovation, exactly like you're saying, where you're bringing multiple parties together. Because in the end, who does it benefit? Of course it benefits you. Of course it benefits M&S and EasyJet. But ultimately, it benefits the user. Yeah. And it's, it's, the user doesn't care. The user doesn't care how you make your money or how you pay them money. Mm-hmm. They don't need education in affiliate, but they, they don't care. They care that they go through a very smooth user journey where they get the benefits, and the benefits may be discount. We live in a discounted world, right? Everybody knows to go and use the internet to get discounts or to get benefit or to get cashback. But that smooth transition for the user, that smooth journey, is ultimately what you're looking to do. Because if it works, what will happen? They'll do it again, and they'll do it again, and again, and again. And being at the forefront of that for Top Cashback is, is I think, representative of the power that affiliate can really do by affiliates sitting in the background, not in the foreground. Nobody cares on Google which link you click. As a user, you don't care. You care that you go from search result to what you're looking for, that the advertising or the organic result captures your intent and that it then takes you to where you want to go right they don't care who gets paid Mm. Um, but the 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 fact is that the user is at the center of this and i think we sometimes 
um, we, don't, we don't put enough emphasis on that. And affiliate marketing is a very powerful tool that sits in the background, allowing this, embracing this, making it happen. Okay, so you've got Nectar going back 20 odd years. So in my affiliate marketing life, Nectar started around about 2000 when affiliate marketing in the UK started. And Nectar initially started with about 12 brands and was about forming relationships between those 12 brands and actually, you know what, if you're part of this club, you will benefit, is what their proposition was to, to the advertisers. And it gradually moved to more and more brands, but they were pulled together by the Nectar uh, card. And I still love that as a concept, that the advertisers are pulled together by this overarching brand. And I do wonder whether Top Cashback could do more of that and actually say, we are the brand, we are going to pull partners together. And affiliate marketing becomes the tracking technology, the payment technology, the processing of the refunds technology that underpins Top Cashback, sort of going to another echelon of of what it does in the UK and abroad. Yeah, I mean, to argue we're there now to a certain extent, right? We're a household name, like maybe Nectar, well, in my household, but I'm sure a lot of others as well, but like Nectar maybe was, and like we do use affiliate networks, and the things that they need to get right is the tracking, which I'm sure we'll come on to, which is the payments, which, you know, still needs a lot of work all these years later. That's what they're there for, really. Like, we have a direct relationship with a lot of our clients, which is always the, the preferred route because it's better to have those conversations one-to-one than it is going through a third party a lot of the time. So I think where Nectar maybe made their mistake was by the exclusive elements, saying, well, we're only going to work with one travel brand or we're only going to work with one brand this side, which unfortunately limited the amount they could really make from the affiliate channel. And I don't think they do a great deal on this channel anymore, but I'm sure they still do a lot of those direct partnerships. But, but yeah, I'd say we do have a lot of direct partnerships across tens of thousands of retailers in each market as well. The long tail of advertisers then in top cashback versus the headline brands. How does the long tail benefit and view top cashback and how do you make top cashback successful for the long tail? I think to be honest, like a lot of it is just around making sure they engage with us. We have various different opportunities for long tail. For example, we have like a brands and more campaign that we run in the UK which is only for smaller brands, I think it's once a month, to try and get as many smaller advertisers into this kind of hub that we run, that we push over all of our different channels across social and email and various other stuff, to give them an opportunity to kind of say, look, you're not being compared against a larger brand where maybe you don't find yourself getting the same kind of retail space. We also have some really interesting things that we're doing with our categories. So like green cashback, I think is a really important mm-hmm. part of what we've done. So we have a green cashback section across both our US and our UK site, started in the UK kind of over a year ago. And what that allows us to do is to work with ethical consumer to highlight brands who not just are sustainable, but also have, you know, very good supply chains and various other things and actually allow our customers to shop based on the kind of brands that they want to buy with. And a lot of those will be your small ones. You know, you're not going to find your Nikes or Adidas's on there. Even though I'm sure Nike and Adidas are doing loads of good things in terms of sustainability, you're going to find your smaller brands on there and, and just allow customers to have other ways of shopping. We've done something similar in, in the US fairly recently with our diverse cashback 
section where we find it easier for customers to find businesses that are either owned or run by whether that is women-owned businesses or black-owned businesses and again trying to give customers more of a shopping by how they wish to shop. So here's an idea for you for free. Uh-oh. B Corp cashback. So you've got Patagonia at yeah. the large end of it, Ben and Jerry's, which probably isn't too good for it. <laughs> so we purposely don't do that. And the okay. reason why we don't do that is because a B Corp is one of the things that we might look at for part of the green cashback. But there's a lot more on that. A lot of B Corps don't necessarily have great supply chains. Like actually to become a B Corp like is tough but it's not the only requirement we look at. Like we need to be really careful that where we have that, I say green cash back and it is, but it's ethical cash back really, right? We want to make sure that we're not greenwashing and that we're not working with advertisers that do that. And actually just being a B Corp isn't enough for us to be in that section. So we've tried to go to the next level down from that to really show and highlight brands. There's only a handful of brands on there or a small selection of brands on there that are doing really, really good things in terms of, like I say, their supply chain, their sustainability, etc. And, and they're great brands to work with. And, and I think by launching that category, it's got a lot of interest from our customers. And we're now seeing a lot of sales go to brands who maybe wouldn't have been found on site otherwise, going back to your point around like, the longer term. So, so yeah, so I think for us, going back to the original question, it is around making sure that these brands get in touch with Stop Cashback. They don't just sit on the site and never do anything. And finding how we can help them generate more sales. There were dozens of cashback sites back in 2004, 5, 6, 7. Kind of showing my age yet again. Do you not remember the free iPods as well? Do you remember the free iPod ones? No. Do you not remember? I'll tell you a story, right? I worked for a gambling company a long time ago, doing affiliates. And at the time, maybe Greasy Palm had just kind of started up on the cashback days back then. One of the first and our points, etc. But there, there used to be all these sites where it's like, complete these 10 offers and get a free iPod. Because this is before the iPhone probably even existed, right? And, and this gambling firm, we had one of ours on there. And the traffic was terrible, right? Because it would just be people trying to get these free iPods. And I remember turning them off and spending a lot of money on there. Going back to the Flip Network and saying, we can't be on these sites. It's not working for us at all. Actually, it ended up that we got maybe one customer on there that after we turned it off, did make the campaign profitable but these were these were sites back then so the gambling company was a great gambler right but but yeah ultimately like the the point being though is that there used to be a lot of trash sites yeah there were and and a lot of them did different things we worked together obviously at tmn which was giving away free shares we had mutual points which give away cash and of course you mentioned our points and greasy palm Mm. what is it that's made top cash back become the standout performer amongst all of those sites because Top Cashback launched a little bit later than some of those early games, yeah, right? Around the same time as Quicker. Yeah, yeah, same year probably, um, yeah. And I think you've touched on it already. Your approach to promotion, your approach to brand, your multi-channel approach to generating new customers. Yeah. I think the challenge for a lot of digital companies back then and even now is that the understanding of brand and how the brand sits in the minds of the consumer is more than just finding that on Google or seeing a, a, a pretty shitty ad yeah. online. I don't think that was what it was that got us to where we are. Right? I think what made us stand out when we launched is we didn't keep any of the money. You know, we launched when our points were keeping half of it and Greasy Palm were keeping half of it. And, I was keeping half you know, of it. And, well, there you go. You were keeping half of it. We right? had to make money. We, we yeah. lo- well, PLC. we still found a way of it making money, right? In fact, we didn't do any pay placements at the time. We had Google AdSense on there, was which the main way that we would make money, right? And 
that was what made a difference. Like if whenever we go into a new market, like that is the thing that differentiates us. We do very well in the US. We haven't cracked it. We're still lots more than the biggest publisher out there, right? But over time, we'll get there because that biggest publisher will never be able to move to a 100% model. Whereas we launch a 100% model and when customers find out about it, they'll be like, well, why would you use that site over there where I get half as much? So, like, it's, got so to that's... Be, it's got to be 100% of a good number. And there's no point giving 100% of a small number if a competitor can negotiate a better cashback rate. Yeah, but it's very rare for a brand to give another cashback site a considerable amount more because they are generally quite fair with the amounts they're giving out. So there'll be weeks where you get higher amounts and that goes back to what we're talking about. But the general standard rates of cashback sites are really the same. Like there's, there will be some where that, where that differs, don't get me wrong, but we were able from almost day one to say, on the standard rates at least, that we could offer more than any of the cashback sites at the time but by it, just being so, on the standard so, rate. So what pays the salaries of people at 100% cashback site? For us now, paid placements, tenancies is, is the main driver for us because if you want your cashback rate to stand out and you want to be in our newsletter and you want to be on some of our other placements on our homepage, on banners, in search, whatever it might be, then you pay for that placement ultimately. I'm just so. going to reverse to 100% a second and, and forgive me if I'm wrong. Do consumers give a crap that it's 100% or do they care? And it's the same number, I get this about the value itself. Is 100% still something that consumers react to? Or is it that it's 10 pounds or 10% or 5%? Which one is it? Because if you compare that to when you were promoting 100%, but what you were really promoting was twice as much. Yeah, I think some consumers do really care, right? Again, it depends on the market. But if you look at the US market, for example, and you look at Cashback Monitor, and you look at them on similar webs, Cashback Monitor compare the cashback rates across all the cashback sites and point sites and various other things. And they generate a lot of traffic to us. But if you just look at similar web and you look at the number of people that look for where they can get the best cashback rate, I would say there are a big proportion of customers who are looking for the best rate. It's a bit different. It's also a bit like a bank though, right? That once you're signed up to the one that's the best, mm -hmm. it is very difficult to get them to change your mind because you've got cashback in there and you have to wait for it to get paid. And then there will be a lot of customers who, who actually will just not care. But we've established ourselves as being the market leader in terms of paying the best rates and paying more than everyone else and that was a, a big part and continues to be a big part of like our, our key USP. So the interesting thing to me is I think there's what you're saying is there's, there's partly an educated audience who will go and do research and, and look at the, the various offers yeah. and uh, within that maybe a subset of people that even understand what 100% cashback means because 100% yeah. is 100% of the commission you receive. Sure, yeah. Right? And then there's a another batch which will be as much about the fact that when it falls down to it, it's twice as much as somebody else. 100% yeah. means nothing but £10 versus £5 absolutely. or whatever yeah. it is absolutely does. In affiliate, we kind of can live our own four walls, right? We don't look outside of it as much as perhaps we should. And you know my thing, Steve, that I'm very obsessed with this idea of advertising channels and affiliate marketing is part of the advertising mm. channel, not a separate channel. It's part Absolutely. of the greater good. Mm. And sometimes I, I still feel to this day we don't act like it. But when you then step back and say, actually, who has heard of Top Cashback? Top Cashback isn't an affiliate publisher. Top Cashback's a brand. In its own right. Oh, by the way, it happens to use affiliate and leverage affiliate really well. And I think when you start to perhaps recognize the extent of what they've done and how they're representative of what others have done, they're not alone. The remnant inventory on the newspapers still is great. But it, it, 
it really is more about how it's leveraging our industry as opposed to representing just our industry. And I think it's bigger than that. And you know, you also look in other markets like the US where you have certain cashback or voucher code sites having an ad at the Super Bowl, which costs a lot of money. That's, that's the honest, right? And you have them supporting sponsoring basketball teams or, you know, or, or football teams or, or whatever else it might be. And like, and these are affiliate sites that make most of their revenue via affiliate marketing. That goes back to your point. There are a lot more household names now in the affiliate space and not just in the coupon cashback space, generating all their money via this market and there are those household names. Yeah, I think that's, and, a, and that's incredible right. considering where we were, okay. you know, when yeah. I started in affiliate marketing a long time ago and you just had some some terrible banners on that someone was bidding on a brand name on Google but for, people right? Like in, that, it's, you know, the market is advanced. People coming into affiliate now, they're coming into a very large market and there was some stuff that we were talking about earlier and a lot of this is about professionalism. The, the fact <laughs> is that the industry is professionalized in a huge way. Of course, it doesn't send people off to Vegas and Barbados anymore. There's, there isn't just a handful of players anymore. It's a very wide, deep and broad market. So I wonder how many publishers there are in the UK and then globally with more than 50 million of revenues. A number of the f- popular finance sites will probably have more than 50 yeah. million from affiliate marketing. You guys do, I assume Quidco do. Yeah, um, I'm sure there will be a bunch. And you know, they're, they're big companies that... Yeah, but be careful with this, Steve, because how many publishers still exist today that generate 50 million pounds or more in advertising income? We're in a place today, especially across publishers as a whole, where the markets become smaller as a readership becomes bigger. It's a tighter market. There's more choice for the user. Do you engage with your news from a newspaper or do you search for your news? Our, our behaviours have changed so much that it's far more spread in a much wider market that's more tightly held by fewer players. So I think when you think about the size of those affiliate players, they don't just stand out in affiliate marketing, they stand out in advertising. They're a big well-known sites are engaging with millions of users on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. I think what's really interesting, so I did a presentation recently for a a university to talk about affiliate marketing because when you look at the university courses, none of them talk about affiliate. You look at the digital course, it covers everything but not affiliates, which I still think is terrible, right? So I went in and spoke at this university, or virtually anyway, to do a talk about what is affiliate marketing and why aren't we talking about as much and one of the things I went through as part of that is to show kind of all the different places where affiliate marketing is used whether it's your bank whether it's the website you read for your news the New York Times BuzzFeed you all use affiliate marketing right whether it's comparison sites for your holidays for your phones for your broadband whether it's your cashback and vouchers and when you look at it nearly every website will be running affiliate affiliate marketing touches more channels than it ever has. So yes, there may not be as many people that are making 50 million plus just from affiliate revenue, but the amount of publishers that exist now that are those household names like your New York Times, that was never a thing years ago, right? And actually part of that is because display advertising died a bit of a death and they had to reach out into new channels and look at future publishing and how much they're Mm. doing. And not only are they doing a lot in affiliate, they're investing and buying other businesses in it and various other things. Huge revenue has been generated. It's a great space. point because I remember, as it was Steve and I, about God, 10 years ago, and we started looking at who was linking into Marks and Spencer's. And when the sun came up, we were slightly surprised. And it turned out that a lot of these 
larger brands were able to engage with remnant inventory. Now, it's, it's moved on a lot since then, but yeah. even back then, we're talking, you know, nine, ten years ago, Yeah, that the publishers have started to use it. And I think it's a very fair point because the, the, the great speech that's given is 80% of, of advertising revenue goes either to Google or Facebook. Oh, sorry, Meta. And 81% now with threads, I guess. But the fact is, in that 80%, what type of advertising is it? And part of the answer is, of course, performance marketing. Yeah. Part of that revenue is being generated within performance marketing. In the end, it's inventory. It's not actually who owns the inventory. That's less important. Yeah. It's what they're prepared to give for the inventory. And if it's not being sold, or if it's, it's more innovative, or if it's more generative, then naturally... There's many options, and affiliate marketing remains a very powerful thing. It's actually quite disappointing to hear that in the various courses for digital marketing, that the understanding of how to apply remnant or how to apply innovation behind performance marketing still isn't being discussed, still isn't being debated. It's such a critical area. We, Because okay. another way of flipping this round is something like 20% of, of all advertising revenue is from performance marketing. That doesn't mean that 40 plus 40 plus 20 is 100 because, as I say, 20% of some of that will cover Google and, and, and Meta. But the fact is that it's a critical area of advertising. But still 50, oh, overall, it's still about 15% of an advertiser's revenue comes yeah, from affiliates, right? Absolutely. It's, and, yeah, it's, it's a good portion of it. And, it and, maybe search is, and maybe search is 20% yeah, of their online. So, like, you know, it's not far away from search, but you'll you'll learn about search at, uh, in your uni course, but you won't learn about affiliates. So I, I think and is that because I, the lecturers have just been there forever and don't haven't seen these changes and don't understand I don't it? Know, and, we're not, I don't we're not know. young, James. I mean, look at us. <laughs> yeah. We're, 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 we're really young. Affiliates <laughs> been more or less the same proportion years. of online sales for 10 years, 15 I think, it's gone years. Up, I think to be fair has gone up a little bit I think the, the thing is that as online sales have also increased so yeah. you know a proportion of a, even if it's the same it's the a, it's a same of a much larger number it's a percentage not a, not a value so it has grown significantly over 80% of all e-commerce sites globally have a level of, of affiliate marketing I think the number is 83% but it is quite an important number. So the vast majority of e-commerce sites are using affiliates in some way. Yeah. We have come a long way. I think one of the challenges for us is that we remember, we, we've seen it grow over 20 years. And it goes back to that point of somebody that comes in new and they're learning and they want to meet people. And, and to them, it's as exciting today as it was to us in 2005 but it's more important than it was. What we were trying to do was, was grow it and, and promote it and push it. And now it's, it's, part, of the, it's it. part of the norm. <laughs> Nike have been through the journey of, do they sell online? Do they not sell online through their own brand? And probably 15 years ago, Nike were wrestling with, well, we can't sell online ourselves because we'll disrupt our channel partners and our channel partners won't be happy. And over time, they've sort of accepted that actually they do need to sell online themselves. Mm. And they've managed to coexist with their channel partners and overall, between all of them, offer a better experience to, to the user. That's a D to C query, not just a performance marketing query, right? But they're able to leverage 
the variants of advertising like performance marketing as they grew. And they now probably also control their brand online more because they can mm. go direct. There's not just a discounted version of them that exists in mm. one of the stores. They, they can control how they're viewed and how they're seen. But they can also then work with the likes of partners like Top Cashback to promote that. So I think D2C is a big change there as opposed yeah. to simply just affiliate marketing. I take all, all what you say on board, right? And I do get that like it can be exciting for some people. Equally... Like, I got really annoyed fairly recently. I think it was after a chat with Steve, not that Steve annoyed wow, me. But just actually thing. about how, like, when you do go back, like, when we first started as an industry, like, and, and still today we are, right? We're passionate about this, right? We see this as, like, a really important industry that we love doing what we're doing, right? And it felt like that was where we all were a while ago. Whereas I think as the industry's grown, you get a lot of people who just don't care, let's be honest, right? They don't care that the tracking doesn't work properly. They don't care that the mobile app doesn't track. Like... There is, I would say there's less people, they're actually really invested in this market than there ever has been. And I think that is the challenge that we face in the industry. How do you get these people that are doing this for a full-time job to not just see it as a nine to five and walk out the door at five o'clock and to actually really see this as like a long-term career choice and, that, and something that they should be quite passionate about and they should be making sure that you know their, their stuff works in the right way. And I think like, that, to me, is the big challenge that we face right now. I mean, you, that exists in all industries. I'm sure it so, does. So I, think I don't if, think it did exist when we, as well, much, no, but, uh, when, as a proportion. When we're early in any industry, right? Sure. So yeah, when we're early in research, when we're early in, in, in social, naturally there was a smaller amount of people who were far more passionate and would fly the flag together. Yeah. And as the industries got bigger and bigger and bigger, of course you are going to have a, a more mixed bag. Mm. I mean, the, the, the thing about online advertising is that it's always on. And that's a big change, so I'm going back a long way now, but you know, back in the day, you would use to campaign and promote very specifically, and you'd be on certain segments on TV and certain segments on the radio and in certain magazines. Um, the, the double page spread in FHM would cost you so much money, but then you'd, you'd make sure your research was fairly biased to make sure it worked. Today, or certainly over the last 20 years, online advertising naturally is always on, especially top cashback is always there it doesn't matter if it's three o'clock in the morning and you've come back from a night out or if it's 10 o'clock in the morning and you're buying for your mum tomorrow it's always there it's yeah. always on and i think that passion for this this kind of these channels that are constantly on all of the time is a very different approach to perhaps how it how it used to work and, and secondly how people respond to that and how they think about that the the old adage used to go you can make money in your sleep and literally affiliate marketing would make money while you slept. And I think if you if you take it too brutally, that doesn't bring into uh, effect the idea of value. And yeah. What's valuable to a user, what's valuable to, a, to, a, to an advertiser, what's valuable to a publisher. I think this idea that we have got bigger and that you're going to attract more and more people is of course going to lead to a natural dilution sure. of pure passion. Yeah. Um, I never disappoint you, I can see it in your face. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's an unfortunate truth there. The yeah. whole tracking thing you've got to be obsessed with because the challenge is that as the world changes around us, as more is required of advertisers, as more of that in terms of compliance, as more as required of networks in ensuring that this idea that it's always on yeah. is true 
So the challenge has become bigger and bigger and bigger. More people are using affiliates, more people, more advertisers, more publishers, and naturally, therefore, more consumers, more people are clicking. So one of the, the things that we're doing at Moonpool, of course, is, is looking at that very challenge. And I know when we spoke a while ago, one of the questions I asked you is, as compliance rages, especially in Europe, as it becomes more and more important for advertisers to be compliant, are we seeing more and more users perhaps challenged or, or suffer when they're trying to do the cashback process? Yeah. I think the answer is yes. We've started to build a group of people internally that are now looking at what we can do to try and turn the tide on. And I think we've seen some really interesting cases. There's a, a very large group of companies who have, in, have integrated with AWIN signals. If I take a step back and look at cashback and look at GDPR, like the users shouldn't have to say yes to consent. Like the rules say, because we don't work under consent, we work under performance of contract. So a user's experience and whether they earn their cash back should not be anything to do with if they say yes or no to marketing. It shouldn't be interrupted, right? right? Absolutely not. Right. Now, it is being. And you look at some, especially hotel groups, who have very complex consent platforms, you can see a drop off there of 15 to 20%. And we can hopefully still get that with our claim system where people can submit tickets, etc. Not work. But where is the other affiliate losing out there? Because that data will still be somewhere, I'm sure. They'll know how many people say no. But what kind of compensation is being given for that 15 or 20% of people who are saying no to consent? That's interesting. So um, you, you think it's the advertiser who should be potentially picking up the bill here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. But why wouldn't they? So if you look at what some of the networks did around the ITP, and they put in compensation for ITP of saying, well, if you haven't got your tracking sorted, then we'll see overall how your percentage of sales has changed, your conversion rate or whatever they looked at, and then you'll pay a fee that will go towards those publishers. And there's still some today who we've seen 30, 40% of sales not tracked because they still haven't upgraded their tracking. But if you know that that many sales have been interrupted, because you're probably still getting it in your Google Analytics data or whatever else you're using, they will know those sales exist and they will know they're coming from affiliates. And they probably sometimes know what publishers it's coming from as well. But where is that ever being compensated? And the answer is it's not. And is that right? We need to call this stuff out and we need to say that's not right and something needs to be done about it. Do I think that the affiliate networks are doing enough? No, if I'm honest. Some are doing some really good stuff. Some of the SaaS platforms generally don't care because they don't make their money from it, and that's another issue entirely. But it's a really important topic, right? I think we're seeing more and more. And when Google changed the rules and the third-party tracking changes everything, like this is going to make even more sales not track. And it starts to get to the point where all the publishers involved in a journey, we're not getting anywhere near the sales revenues we once did because there's been a blocker put in their way, and like that blocker wasn't meant for affiliate, right? It was meant to stop the likes of Facebook from following you all over the web. And we've been caught up in that in affiliates. And I think it's time that if networks know that there is a percentage of sales that are going missing and advertisers know how many sales are going missing, they should still be paying publishers for that. So let me ask you a really pointed question. A lot of advertisers still use third party only. Yeah. I mean, it's greater, right? You know you're not going to track on Safari. Yeah. Will top cashback drop those advertisers if that's not resolved in the next nine months? Because in the next 12 months, you're not going to make a cent and you're going to have a lot of customers, 20 million users, a proportion of them, any percentage of that is a large number, are going to simply raise a ticket and cause you more and more pain. So 
I can't say whether we'll drop them or not. What I can say is that we are taking this really seriously, right? We've got a number of different working groups internally that are looking at tracking. First of all, to try and just report better on it, right? Let's understand, because we don't know necessarily exactly which one's a third party or not. Obviously, we're doing some work with Moonpool on that as well, but we don't necessarily know who those advertisers are. Often, we might look at something and say, well, the tracking has definitely changed because the conversion rates got worse, the cleanings rates got higher, etc. Like, we don't always know the reason for it. What we are doing is trying to first of all understand that a bit better with the reporting. And yeah, there are conversations internally that we're still having to say, well, what will we do if the advertiser still doesn't fix it? And there are pointed conversations we've had with some of the advertisers that are worse. Like there's a, a large high street brand that I've been speaking to, right? And we've shown them a graph that says we're getting a claims rate of 30%. And a lot of customers won't put in claims, so many more sales aren't being 30%. tracked. 30%. That's and it's probably double that that isn't tracking. I reckon over half their sales don't track, right? Because they're still using the same tracking that they integrated 10 years ago. Okay, so when I've raised this with them, like they know they have to get the tracking upgraded, but they've been told by the platform that they work with to say, we well, you need to do server to server, which isn't easy. It's a big tech change. So they're sitting there waiting for years to get the tech time to fix it. And it just gets worse and worse. And when we showed them a graph saying this is how bad it's getting, to be fair, they didn't realize. Now, should they have realized, it's another question. I don't, I generally think they didn't realize it's as bad as it was. Mm -hmm. And they realize how bad it is. I do think they are prioritizing more how to get this fixed sooner. And is there anything they could put in place before they're doing that server to server? And, and hopefully we'll see that improve. But should it really be us as a publisher having to look at those stats and bring that to the advertisers and say, look, you need to get your stuff together? So I, I think there's a really interesting question there for to what extent is a business in any industry responsible for auditing its whole chain, so your suppliers and your customers? And I feel that once a business gets to a certain size, you should be auditing the quality of your supply chain. I mean, if you're Toyota making cars, they put a massive emphasis on quality of their supply chain sure. and getting everything tickety-boo just in time. And it shouldn't be publishers calling out advertisers because I'd like to think that the advertiser, the network, the agency are, are also looking at it. But I don't think that absolves the publisher of... Possibly responsibility to, to do their own Poss auditing. Possibly not. I think we're, we're in a quite fortunate position that we see the claims data, so we can see how many sales customers are saying, I made this sale and it didn't track, right? Mm. So, whereas, you know, outside of cashback and loyalty, you can't see that. So maybe you see conversion mm. rate change over time, but you can't necessarily put that down to certain things. Mm. But, let's be honest, right? A network is only there to track stuff and make sure it gets paid. So if they can't get the tracking right, what are they really there for? That's their day-to-day -day job. Like They should see that this is bad. They should know it's bad. And they should be prioritising sort of that. And not really letting the advertiser still be sitting on stuff that doesn't track in an ITP world. So when was ITP 2017? But hang on, so you've got the other challenge there, James. So one could turn that around and say, actually, why would top cashback continue to promote an advertiser where they feel yeah. half the sales aren't tracking? Because yeah. actually you have this power, right? You are literally sitting there as a good X percent of all of the advertisers' affiliate sales. Yeah. If you turn them off, do you think that would speed up their resolve to get this sorted to get this result and, and, and I, I must say I think in certain circumstances you've used an example of 30% 
of your customers are um, putting forward a ticket that says they didn't get their cash back and we both know that will be representative of, the, of a bigger number. Mm -hmm. If you stop promoting that high street name, do you think that high street name would resolve to get that sorted quicker so they can go back on your site? I get, yeah, I, I, I get your point. I think there's two things. I think first of all, I would say that maybe as a business, like we don't necessarily understand tracking because we're not in the tracking business. Like we don't track the sales ourselves. We rely on the networks or the platforms to do that and to have the expertise there. We're learning a lot more about it and sharing a lot of that knowledge more internally so that we can start to have these conversations. The challenge is if we turn that brand off and say that we're taking off the website and they're a very big brand, customers will come to our site and search them. They won't understand that we've turned them off because it doesn't track but they will potentially be able to get it elsewhere. So we give our competitors an exclusive on a brand that yes, isn't tracking very well, but so, so say, is it better to have the brand okay. there where they can put a claim through, they might have a bad experience. If it was solely up to me, I, would I turn them off? Probably yes. But it's, it's a difficult decision to make and it has to be done with the brand as well. We've only really tried now to have those conversations as well as maybe we should have. Perhaps I'll flip that around. Um, a publisher I know a few years ago, they used to work with a handful of brands really closely amongst all of their, their advertisers. And there was one in particular that almost annually said, right, we're gonna do our incrementality test. <laughs> and they would, turn off the affiliate channel for a month. And so they didn't respect the, the publisher in the way that you, you have your dilemma. And they turned the publisher off for a month. And almost every year for, I don't know, six years, I think, within two weeks, the affiliate channel was turned back on again because they spotted the incrementality of it. And I always feel that you show too much reverence to the advertisers and the senior guy at one of the larger networks I was talking to, and I was talking through precisely this dilemma, and he almost wished that you would react more ruthlessly with these advertisers to... because they almost find themselves a bit hamstrung because yeah. the publishers are tolerant of a poor level of yeah. technical integration. I think. We have to also, because of the size we are in the market as well, right, we also have to be a little bit careful as a business over this because we can't be seen to be forcing brands to go in certain directions because of our market share and our dominance. We can't be massively aggressive because if we are, that can potentially be looked at quite negatively, right? So I think the point being is it's not a simple black or white decision, right? I think we would rather impart on them how important that's it, this is and it may take time. It's not going to be an overnight thing because they might have to update their tracking. If it's on the consent piece, the affiliate team often don't own that part of the business. So they're going to have to raise a case to be able to get some of that stuff changed. But I think we, as a business, understand more about it now. And, and I would like to think that for some of the advertisers we work with, that we can have some really good conversations, they can engage with it, and we can start to see some change. So I have a view that understanding tracking is really important for publishers. Not because you can go in and fix it, because clearly you can't in most cases, but that's not to say that publishers don't break tracking, because they do. Yeah. But once you understand tracking, 
I feel that that leads to better quality decisions within publishers on a commercial level. And I think you're sort of alluding to that, where understand tracking and it makes you start thinking about what are we losing here, what are we losing there, how could we do better here, how could we do better there. I agree. And it can't just be us. Uh, I work quite close to the publisher board and and helped set it back a a few years ago when we did the, the piece on merchants, the best practice. And we have been putting together a project with a few people part of that board to really understand the tracking, work with the networks to audit some of their programs, to understand where could the tracking be going down, where is consent involved, where is the app tracking, is it third party only or first party, you know, really understanding that and getting a greater clarity on some of the key programs. So then we can analyse all the results from the networks we've gone to, talk more about them and be able to start to then engage with the rest of the publisher board and the rest of the publishers are part of it to impart some of that knowledge because I think that there's a lot of people within this space that just have no clue about where the problems are. They have no understanding of consent and what that's doing to their business. I did a poll on, on LinkedIn recently asking who thinks that consent is really hammering their affiliate commission and it got a fairly good response. And a lot of people just said no or they're not even aware of it, including one of the network CEOs, right? And, and maybe just maybe just press the wrong button. But but anyway, I, I, it, it is losing a lot of sales. It's losing the, the channel a lot of sales. Not just consent, but the mobile app and everything else it talks about, right? And as the publisher board, what we're trying to do is actually say, let's just understand this better. And let's help impart that knowledge because we're all learning together on the board of, of how important it is, right? And then, then let's impart that knowledge on other publishers and try to tackle this as an industry together which I think is important. I think what Kev Edwards is doing in terms of an industry body for affiliates will be really important. I think this might be a topic that they kind of pick up on as well. So there is a lot more awareness, understanding than there's ever been and that will continue to grow. Hopefully, enough time before Google turn off their third party stuff completely so that we can actually start to get somewhere. So we've come across an interesting challenge in our journey so far. There is a resistance for certain networks to go to their clients to say you've got to change because they feel their clients are made out of tender. Uh, I think they, they will tell them they need to get better tracking. They won't enforce it, I think. Is mm, the... I, this, this went further. This was literally okay. an awareness that there's third party only, that there's challenges with that third party only, and these are big, big clients. And if they go to those clients and then ask them to switch to first party, that the third party change is coming, that they feel that that will be under threat. There's a commercial challenge to these networks. Now, we were quite surprised to hear this, mm. but naturally what's not in front of your face today is not a problem. It's not a problem until sometime next year. Do you, do you feel the industry is perhaps burning its head in the sand a little bit? See, I see things a different way. I think that, I think it's interesting the point you've made. I haven't seen that personally. What I have seen is the networks did put together a document on affiliate tracking. And I think every network or platform got involved in that and explaining why they should move to server side or various other solutions and what was happening around third parties. They did come together to do that piece. Not much has happened since with that, but I think that was a really interesting piece in terms of making awareness of it. I think the change I've seen is the one that I just hinted to, right? Is that if you go to a client that is on third party only or that has really bad consent or whatever else it might be and say, look, you need to make some changes to this, like, or what? 
because the problem is where we all go to tender like there is a lot of competition in that space right and i'm sure that every big program is is getting constant communication from the other networks they're not on or platforms they're not on yeah right so you know if they were being told you have to do this or we're going to do xyz that's where they're then well actually we can't do that because we'll lose this piece of business. And there's no way the networks will sign up to to abide by one oh, exactly. single rule because that's well, just commercial. Legally, you probably can't. Yeah. yeah well, so. legality or otherwise, I think that uh, there's maybe a moral yeah. obligation. But the, I guess the, the other network is, would think, well, if they implement our tracking, exactly. we'll get it right. Uh, and and it's, that point, it's amazing how many networks think that their tracking is the <laughs> best tracking, the only tracking, the single tracking that works. Yeah. But it doesn't take more than a few tests to find out that that's simply not true. ridiculous. This really triggers me. There was a new financial program that launched or Move Networks recently, right? And it's still third party only. How can you launch a program now in 2023, seven years or whatever after ITP happened, that won't track on Safari, that won't track on Firefox, and in six to nine months to 12 months won't track on Chrome either? How do you today launch a program knowing that is the case? And that for me is like a a big issue. So how would you improve affiliate marketing? So actually, Uh, I'm going to go a bit rogue here on this question, right? Because I I don't think for me this is around tracking. I, I went to a conference recently and I was moderating a panel and someone on the panel said, one of the great things about affiliate marketing is the fact that merchants get to validate the sales and cancel returns and that kind of stuff, right? And I'd like to flip that on the head and say, that's actually one of the bad things about affiliate marketing. It's needed for cashback sites, don't get me wrong. But why is affiliate marketing the only channel you can do that? Yes, merchants will probably think it's great. But realistically, if you're a publisher and you're spending money on traffic and you're trying to understand how many sales you're getting from it and all that kind of stuff, like to then 90 days later on some networks have the ability for it to be cancelled or because it's been returned, or because they've decided to cancel it for whatever reason. That, that isn't a good experience, right? Yeah, for that. And, that, and that, that, I think, if that wasn't happening, I feel like there'd be a lot more investment in affiliates because you can see exactly how much money that you're making, and you know you'll get it paid at some point, and you can put further investment into the channel, etc. So, But if publishers don't have a responsibility to send high-quality traffic, they will drift closer and closer to low quality traffic and ultimately take us through to the world where they don't care at all about the quality of so, the traffic. So there needs to be some sanction against I think be, traffic. I think there should be a variance, right? And like I said, like a loyalty is needed, right? Because what we don't want is someone buying a, you know, a free grand TV for argument's sake and then not accepting or sending it back because they're going to get their, their cash back off the back mm. of it, right? There are some publishers, maybe it's ones of lower quality, where you say, well, actually, validation has its place. But should that be across the whole market? I'd actually say we should move away from it. There used to be, many years ago, advertisers who would accept a certain amount of returns from their larger publishers and wouldn't process them as a return and reverse the commission because they saw it in the round. So I think that's on an advertiser-to-publisher level what, what happens there. I think that's gone though. Like, I don't think that really exists as much. There'll be some that just don't do validations because they can't work out how to do it or because they can't be bothered, to be honest. Okay. So I think ultimately like that's moved on. <laughs> but isn't it sad that, that that's almost a regressive step? That there's something you wish for that you say is now used to happen. I mean, there's a lot happens. of things I wish for that used to happen, Steve. <laughs> go, go on. Well, what, EU. What <laughs> no, let's not go there. An hour to mention Brexit. Well done, James. <laughs> Thanks. Well done. Thanks. 
No, I'm serious. I think the way the payments are made, right, is one of the massive challenges in this industry that you might make a sale for an advertiser. As a publisher, potentially, you might not get paid for six months, nine months, a year. We're still seeing, seeing sales that we haven't been paid for a year later. Because it, because it's just the way that it works is just not good but enough. It, it, and, it comes you know, back to the question of why promote them. Right. It's easy for us to say they're for a cashback site or to say it for where you have a lot of different selection of choice. But there may be publishers out there that might work in more niche spaces who don't have as much choice over who they're going to promote or who they're not going to promote, right? If you're starting this industry and you spend a bit of money on affiliates and you think you're going to make this money and you don't know that you're not going to get paid for a year because the, the merchant's just not very good with paying their bills or validating I don't think you've got the choice over that. There are firms that are coming in that are either the network's partnered up with or whatever else, like the Pioneer and the A thing. Like, I think that's good, but like, should it really be needed that like now you have to pay someone else to get insurance to be able to get paid out quicker? And like, there's a lot of good reasons for doing that. But if you go back to the days of, you know, of when we started and, you know, you asked me the question of what are some of the things that have been aggressive, mm. payments is a massive part of that. Like, it probably costs the networks a lot of money. I do understand the reasons for it happening, but payments and reversals are a huge boundary for new publishers launching this space, and it used to be a lot better. So one of the challenges for a network is they're owed £100 by an advertiser. They're a really competitive, really large programme. They're perhaps keeping 10% of that. Mm -hmm. So they would have to be insuring all £100 out of their... Don't, don't get me wrong. I understand the challenges. Yeah. And so that's one of the I'm not saying we're going to go back there. Yeah. I do understand why it's happened, and I was part of a network when it was happening and when those changes were made. I do completely get it, right? Like, it makes a lot of sense. Why don't you use your cloud and go to direct to the advertisers and say, we know that only 10% of what we've done is going to get reversed tops. So give us an advance on the remaining 90. I, I think, for us, there's no point to an extent, right? Smaller publishers, people that are investing a lot in this space, need that cash flow quicker to be able to continue to invest in this space. I think that's where the challenge it brings you. For a cashback like us, like we, who don't have cash flow issues in the same way, and also like we don't want to pay customers before it's validated or before they're due it, because we don't want them to end up getting the money and then sending it back. Yes, it'd be great if we can pay customers quicker, because there are some brands who are very slow and that might take a long time and that needs to be improved. But like I think just overall for the industry is a challenge. So is there something about affiliate marketing that you think is not very well understood that you would like other people to know? I think we hinted at the very start of the conversation around the relationships. And I don't, I don't think this is something that people aren't aware of, right? But I do think it is changing in the post-COVID world. There's another publisher that, that we know of that just doesn't see any value at all in sending their fairly large amount of staff to affiliate events. And, and I think, number one, I think they've got it wrong. But... I feel it's more of a challenge now. It's more of a challenge to go and meet with advertisers because they're not in the office. We used to have our team go out every single day like clockwork, going to meetings at the networks or meetings at the client's office or whatever it might be and building those relationships and really showing that awareness of how the program works and how Top Cashback works and that kind of stuff. But whilst we still go and have those conversations, they're nowhere near as frequent as they were because of the kind of remote work style that we live in now. Maybe there'll be more video calls, etc. like I get that, but like actually being able to sit face to face with someone and talk about it, that's, 
what was massively important when I started the Top Cash back. And now it's it's a challenge to be able to go and do the same thing. And I understand the whole work-life balance and being able to work remote and everything else. But that is a challenge for the industry and something that maybe needs improvement. I think we've learned a huge amount, so thank you very much, James. Yeah. And I look forward to seeing how your internal project put Top Cash back on tracking reward commissions, commercial models, etc., develops over the next year. So thank you very much. Cool, thank thank you, James. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining James, Mark, and Steve for this affiliate pub takeaway. And look out for the next in the series, wherever you get your podcasts.